If it is your first time here, my name's John. Uh, I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys checking us out, particularly if it's your first time. Like Adam said, we are in the midst of this series that we're calling Not Today, Satan. And for the month of March, we're just doing one thing. We're taking a look at temptation, what it is, how it affects our lives, and most importantly, looking at the tools that God gives us so that we can say, not today, Satan. Uh, We've been basing our whole series on one kind of driving text that Paul wrote. He said this in 1 Corinthians. So be careful. When you think you're standing firm, you might fall. And each week we've pointed out sort of the dangers of pride, that whenever we kind of catch ourselves saying, you know, I'm strong in this area, there's not really an issue in my life, that's really when we're going to want to watch ourselves because we tend to like lower our guard and Satan pounces on that. Paul continues. He says, you are tempted in the same way all other human beings are, meaning every single one of us is tempted, right? Um, And we're all tempted in different ways. But here's the good news. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted any more than you can take. But when you are tempted, God will give you a way out. Then you'll be able to deal with it. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about how we can specifically resist temptation, kind of the specific steps that we can take. We talked about what it looks like to submit to God in our lives. And then we looked at this idea based on something that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, this idea of eliminating temptation before we have to resist it. If you want to find out more about that, let's go back, give it a listen. What I want to do today is I want to build on last week. And I want to show you where we can get the power to do those things, where we can get the power to resist temptation, to to say no to these kinds of things. Now, when it comes to resisting temptation, I think often we kind of say to ourselves, all right, I don't want to do this anymore, whatever this is, it's different for all of us. I don't want to do this anymore, so I just need to stop thinking about it. In other words, if I can just stop thinking about alcohol, if that's your thing, okay, if I can just stop thinking about shopping, if I can just stop thinking about sex, then, then I can resist, right? Then I'll be okay. The problem is when we as humans try to not think about something, it generally becomes the only thing that we can think about. Classic example. If I were to say to you, hey, don't think about a pink elephant, right? Of course, that's like all you can picture right now. And so by trying not to think about alcohol or not to think about worrying or not to think about anything negative, whatever that is, our minds naturally sort of tend to go right to it. Today, scripture is going to show us a better plan than just not thinking about it. And that is you also have to do the right thing. Let me show you what Paul has for us. Colossians 5, he says this. So I say, walk by the spirit. In other words, do the right thing, right? Do the right thing, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What does he mean by desires of the flesh? Okay, we're going to hear this word flesh a lot today. Paul's going to use it a lot. I'm going to use it a lot. It's going to be a whole lot of flesh today, which could be a good thing. Um, Now, (laughs) depends. So whenever we hear the word flesh in the context of Scripture, it refers to our sin nature, that part of us that always wants to do the wrong thing. Paul says this. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit that's inside the believer. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Paul is like, if you're a Christian, and I know many of you guys here today are, if you're a Christian, you've got something unique happening inside of your body. Uh, That is a war. There is this constant struggle between your flesh, your sin nature, 
and God's spirit that lives inside of you. And chances are, if you are a Christian, you know exactly what he's talking about. You, you've, you've felt this tension inside of you. And maybe, maybe you'd even describe it the way that Paul describes what he feels. He says this, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Have you ever read anything more relatable in Scripture? This is all of us, right? Like, we want to do the right things. I want to read my Bible daily. A lot of us try to get in this whole Bible thing, and I read it for three days, and, you know, then I just stop. I want to stop overspending. Oh, but there's a sale, okay? Like, I want to get up early in the morning and go for a run, but, you know, there's a 10% chance of rain, in Tampa, and it might come here, I, and I got new sneakers, I don't want to get them wet, so you know what, we'll just kind of put that on pause for one more day. I want to do the right thing, but I don't. We don't want to do the wrong things, right? I don't want to get mad at, you know, my husband or my wife, but I just threw a hanger at them, okay? I don't want to, you know, have sex with my boyfriend or my girlfriend anymore. I want to wait, right? But, ooh, just happened again. We want to do the right things and don't. We don't want to do the wrong things, but we do. So where do we find the power to say no? Where do we find the power to resist that temptation? Where do we find the power to break the hold that our sin nature has on us? I have two thoughts for the day. First one is this. We need to learn how to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're like most people, you might say something like, okay, God I get for as much as you can get God. I get God. Jesus, understood. Holy Spirit, a little fuzzy on the Holy Spirit kind of a thing. You're not alone if that's how you think. I would argue that the Holy Spirit is perhaps one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us. Jesus, just before he was about to die, pulls his disciples together and says, all right, boys, here's the deal. I tell you the truth, right? I'm not going to lie to you. It is better for you that I go away which must have shocked them to hear that, okay? Because these men have spent the last three years with Jesus. They saw him do miracles. They did ministry alongside of him. They, you know, went on trips with him and ate meals with him. What could possibly be better than having Jesus by your side? I mean, how could this possibly be good news that he is now leaving them? Jesus explains. He says, if I do not go, the helper, that's what he calls the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, it is better to have God's spirit inside of you than God's son beside you. If I were to ask the average Christian, would you rather, and I love a good would you rather game, would you rather okay, have the Holy Spirit inside of you or Jesus beside you? I think we'd all go, man, Jesus beside me, I'll take that. That sounds really, here's the problem. A, Jesus in heaven, okay? And B, if Jesus were on earth, even in his resurrected body, he can only be in one place at one time. So he literally could not be beside every single one of us. And he knows this. And so he left. So that God's spirit could be with everybody, everywhere, all the time, for all time. And that is good news. So what else does the Holy Spirit do for us? Well, Holy Spirit convicts us. That's a word scripture would use, right? There's this constant presence in our life that is watching out for us. And so if you do the wrong thing, the Holy Spirit immediately makes you feel conviction. Oh, ooh, shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. That was a problem. That was a sin. Prompts you to ask for forgiveness and make a change in your life. If you're about to do something wrong, the Holy Spirit acts as an alarm. 
Warning, right? Warning, right? You are about to make an unwise decision. Be very careful with what you are about to do next. Now, let's make sure we don't misunderstand this particular aspect of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not your conscience, although we often confuse the two. Your conscience is like a natural compass, okay? It's like the default app that we all come with as humans. Problem is because of sin, a compass doesn't really work that well. It's like Apple Maps, okay? It's like sometimes it gets you exactly where you need to be. Other times, it's as though it has no clue what it's doing, right? And that's your conscience. Sometimes you can trust it, sometimes you can't. Now, the Holy Spirit is separate and apart from your human nature. It's divine. And it's always going to lead you in the right direction. It's like Google Maps, right? The question is, will you follow it? Will you actually listen to it? Next, we learn Holy Spirit comforts us. It's actually referred to as the comforter in Scripture. He comforts you when you are lonely, comforts you when you are hurting. Maybe you've been in a place in your life where you're upset and you're praying, and all of a sudden it's like, Right? There's just this, like, you just feel this sudden peace out of nowhere. You may have just lost your job. You may have just gotten some really disturbing news from the doctor, but for some reason, you feel safe and secure and peaceful. That's the Holy Spirit. Scripture also says that the Holy Spirit prays for us. And when I say pray for us, I mean more like praying on our behalf. Paul tells us that there are these moments in our life when we are so afraid we're so overwhelmed, so stressed, so anxious, so sad, so whatever, that we don't even know how to pray. Maybe you've been there. You don't even know where to start. It's like, God, I, I, right? It's just like, it's too much. Scripture tells us that in those moments, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. It's not even words. Groanings, too deep for words. I find so much comfort in that. That our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he took up residence inside of us so that he could pray for us when we didn't know how to pray for ourselves. Additionally, Scripture says the Holy Spirit guides us. We're going to get into that more later. But if we're attentive to the leadings of the Holy Spirit, right, he will prompt you. He will nudge you to move in the direction of God's will. So if you ever confused about what exactly the Holy Spirit is, just remember the Holy Spirit is God living in you and empowering you so that you don't have to do life alone. And so if you're battling a temptation, which we all are, you don't have to do that alone. There's a divine power inside of you that we need to learn to depend on and to tap into. Paul continues his case against the sinful nature. He says this, this is interesting. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. This word urge is very important. It paints a picture of how our sinful nature is almost operating on its own. Kind of like that voice in your head, which is your own voice, by the way, that kind of urges you, hey, hey, take that drink. Spend that money you don't have. You know what you should do? You should text that person at 2 a.m. You should do that. That's it. That's a good idea. That's going to end well, right? There's not going to be any regrets. You are under no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, remember Paul's audience. Look what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, Christians, he says, I'm talking to you. Lean in. Listen, listen. You may have given your heart to the Lord, good, but your sin nature is still there. 
And it's going to make a compelling argument. It's going to promise you satisfaction, but you are under no obligation, zero obligation to listen to it. Four, if you live by its dictates, you will die. Now, Scripture always connects sin to death. We talked about this in the last two weeks, and we think, well, that's a bit dramatic, right? It's a bit, but it's true. Sin kills things. Maybe you've seen sin kill a marriage. Sin kills finances, tears apart self-esteem. I once heard a pastor say that sin thrills, and then it kills, okay? And if sin doesn't thrill you, you're not doing it right, okay? Come talk to me afterward, okay? Sin thrills. That's why we're enticed by it. Last week, I was talking to a great guy, and he's just trying to follow the Lord, right? He's trying to conquer temptation, just like all of us are. That's what we're doing on this journey. And he comes up to me, and he goes, you know, today you spoke about porn. If you were here last week, we talked about that in passing. You spoke about porn today. That's a struggle in my life. And just him confessing that to me, not like pastor me, I mean like me as like a human being, that's a huge step because sin grows in the dark. But when you drag it out into the light, it loses power. And then he said something incredibly interesting. He goes, I had the urge to look, but then I stopped. There's the word urge. He used it. Right? That's our sin nature, urging us to do these things. He said, in the midst of that urge, I stopped. And I actually thought about how porn isn't good for me, how this is wrong for my life. This never ends well. That this spills over into other aspects of my life and it affects me negatively. Now, I don't know for certain, okay? But that sure sounds like the promptings of the Holy Spirit to me. Warning, warning, warning. He said, John, I had the urge to look, but then I stopped. And then I looked. And my heart broke for him. Because you could just see his whole countenance change. The disappointment and the discouragement. It's like Paul said, I want to do the right thing and I don't. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do it anyway. And so I asked him, I said, well, when you looked, you felt good for a while, right? Yeah, I did. And, and then that feeling went away and you felt bad. And regret and shame and, and it affected your sense of self-worth. Yeah. Sin thrills, and then it kills. And I said to him, okay, it's in the past. Next time, because there's always a next time. Next time, when God gives you a way out, take it. We are under no obligation to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. Let's read our verse again. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But, and I love a good but in scripture, okay? Whenever there's a whole bunch of bad stuff followed by a but, you know something good's about to happen. He says, but if through the power of the Spirit, if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. You're not gonna find freedom. You're not gonna live through the power of self-control. It's not gonna happen. You're not gonna find freedom through through your own power and your own strength. But if you depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, that power and that power alone, you will put to death the urges of your sinful nature and you will find freedom. So we want to first learn how to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Second thing we want to do is keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we want to follow the Spirit's lead. Paul says this, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross 
and have crucified them there. This is a very powerful verse, but it's important that we recognize exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, he is not saying that God is the one who nails our passions and our desires to the cross. He didn't say that. In fact, he says quite the opposite. It is the believer through the power of the Holy Spirit who must nail their own passions and their own desires to the cross of Christ. Now look at the verb he uses. He says, have nailed. We read that in the English translation and we think it's a one-time action. Nail them up there, good to go. That is not what it says in the original language. In the original language, it was an active voice, meaning we must continually nail our desires to that cross. Day after day after day, we must take them to Jesus. We must submit them to Jesus. We must nail them to his cross so that our sinful nature hangs there alive, but powerless to us. He continues, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step, there it is, with the Spirit. Other translation will say, follow the Spirit or, or guided by the Spirit, but I love the idea of keeping in step with the Spirit. It's like a well-rehearsed dance. There's nothing more painful or awkward than watching two people dance with each other when they're out of step, okay? But there's nothing more beautiful than watching two people move as one. That's what Paul wants for our life with the Holy Spirit. How do we get that, all right? How do we learn how to keep in step with the Spirit? by spending time with him. We get to know the spirit through God's word. We listen to him and, and over time, we begin to recognize his voice. And the more you mature in your faith, the better you recognize his activity in your life. And it becomes easier to know when he's leading you to go somewhere or when he's leading you to say something or when he's leading you to not say something. It becomes easier to know when he's challenging your thoughts or when he's giving you scripture to encourage you or to encourage somebody else, or when he's prompting you to pray. You do this, you are literally keeping in step with the Spirit. And when you keep in step with the Spirit, you're less likely to fall to temptation. Don't misunderstand this, okay? Temptation is still all around you. But when you keep in step with the Spirit, you are so full of what matters that you just become less tempted by what doesn't matter. Paul says when you keep in step with the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. If you hear me say one thing today, hear me say this. You have no obligation to obey the urges of your sinful nature. You have no obligation to stay addicted to what's in that bottle. None. You have no obligation to continue eating to medicate yourself. You have no obligation to continue worrying, I'm preaching to myself right now, okay? When the Prince of Peace promises that he will renew your mind and give you a peace that goes beyond all human comprehension, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. How come? Because God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted any more than you can take. But when you are tempted, God will give you a way out. He will always, 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 every time give you a way out. And you get out by tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. That power and that power alone will break you free from the grip of our wrong desires. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? 
If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week, we put this word on the screen just to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've just heard. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but it is one of the most famous platforms or programs, if you will, to deal with addiction or for our purposes, temptation. It's a 12-step program, but the first two steps are the most important. They're foundational to recovery. The first step is to admit that you are powerless over alcohol, that one, and to admit that life has become unmanageable. In other words, things have gotten out of control. And it's hugely important to be honest about this. The second step is believing a higher power can restore you, or as they say it, to come to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore your sanity. This is the step that gives them hope. This is the step to know that they are not alone in this battle. For a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that these steps come directly from Paul's teaching, what we looked at today. And so what I want to do for us here at DHC is I want to adapt these steps for you and give you your first two steps in recovering from temptation. Your first step is this to admit I am powerless over blank. What is it for you? I am powerless over food. I am powerless over materialism. I am powerless over worry. I am powerless over sexual addiction. You got to call it what it is because you are only as strong as you are honest. You got to admit it. I am powerless over drugs. I am powerless over alcohol. I am powerless over jealousy. This is the beginning of healing. So I'm just going to give you a minute to admit to what you are powerless over. I am powerless over. Once you've named it, second step, you got to confess. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit will heal me and will make me whole. And it is not so much that you confess that you believe in the Holy Spirit, rather that you confess that you believe he is working for you and on your behalf and that he and he alone will give you the power that you need to fight your battles. You do this, you'll find deliverance. You will have a breakthrough. Now, for some of you, it might happen immediately. It could be as soon as you walk out these doors today. For others, it's going to take time. And there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. But with God, all things are possible. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we live in a world of temptation. Enemies on the outside, enemies on the inside. But God, you have promised to send your spirit into the heart of every single person who recognizes your son as the Messiah. That same power that rose him from the grave is available to every single person who says yes to him. And I pray that today we would feel that power in a fresh way. That you would renew our hearts and our spirits and you would allow us to tap into that power of God to say no. Not today, Satan. To say no to those things in our lives that are dragging us down and are dragging us away for your best for us. Help us today to have breakthroughs. 
Help us to break free from the bond of our sinful nature. And we will give your son all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.